grace you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Herod Antipas, 
she divorced Herod Philip and then married Herod Antipas. We good? All right, we're going. We got more. Herodias had a daughter also named Herodias. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us the daughter's name was also Salome. She's the one dancing in the story. See if I can get this one right. Herodias, too, was Herod Antipas's niece. She was also Herod Antipas's brother, Herod Philip's daughter. And when Herod married Herodias I, Herodias II became his daughter in a suit. Anyway. <laughs> Then she became a sister-in-law by marrying Herod Philip too. You thought your family was a mess. Wow. Anybody want me to go over that again? No. In the midst of all this dysfunction in high places, John the Baptist came preaching. Repent. Seek forgiveness. The kingdom of God is coming. And in his preaching, he quit meddling, he quit preaching and went to meddling, as the mountains say it is. He called Herod and Herodias by name. He lambasted them on issues of immorality and bad leadership. He pointed out where Herod had failed to be a good king, politically and in his personal life, and Herod's wife, Herodias, was furious. And she wanted John dead. After all, what's the point of being the king if you can't kill a few people that get in your way? <laughs> king Herod reacted cautiously. Hmm, okay, on the one hand, he had John arrested and put in jail, but on the other hand, he did protect him from his wife's revenge probably because he was more afraid of the preacher and God than he was of his wife. Like the Bible says, Herod feared John, knowing that John was a righteous and holy man, and so Herod protected him. When Herod heard him, he was greatly perplexed, yet he liked to listen to him. I imagine Herod sneaking down to the dungeons every once in a while to talk to John. John sitting on one side of the bars and the king on the other. John is let loose with one of his tirades and Herod sitting there looking at him and thinking, what if he's right? What if I do need to repent? What if God is real and is really displeased with the way I am leading my life? This story is really about King Herod, about this perplexed seeker, a dabbler in the mysteries of God. He believes just enough to keep himself awake at night, but not enough to change his way of living. He fears doing the wrong thing, but he hasn't the moral courage to do the right thing. He stands on the precipice of disaster, the way of moral ruin 
yawns wide in front of him, but he does not yet plunge into the darkness. He teeters there, barely holding on to his dignity, clinging to some minimal sense of right and wrong. Herod does not love God. Rather, he fears God's prophet and he fears God's judgment. He's unwilling to embrace a call to repentance and discipleship, but he is neither is he ready to turn his back on God either. Then comes the fateful day, the banquet, the party. He throws this party for his birthday and when there's lots of important and influential people and much food is eaten, much wine is drunk. Salome dances, men leer and cheer, and Herod shows off by promising to reward her with anything she wants. Herodias the Younger runs off to her mother, Herodias the old elder, and says, what should I ask for, mother? And the evil queen, <laughs> angry and revengeful, seizes the moment. Ask for John's head. And the perplexed Herod, befuddled and overwhelmed one more time, can't back down, He's already promised, how would it look? And he falls off the middle cliff. He loses what little ethical compass he has left. He orders John murdered and his head brought to Salome on a platter. So then, some months later, when Jesus comes along, preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins and the coming kingdom of God. Intense guilt and remorse strike at Herod's heart and his withered, fearful soul screams out, It's John the Baptist whom I beheaded. Luciano Pavarotti liked to tell about when he was a young man he was already knew he had a voice and that he could be a singer, but he didn't trust it. And so, like most people in that business, he looked for a day job as well. <laughs> when, I, when I lived in, in Nashville, we said we had the best looking waiters and waitresses on the <laughs> So while he was singing at night, he was going to teacher's college during the day, getting a certificate. And when he graduated, he said, do I take a teaching job and keep the slow go on this, or do I try to become a singer? And he went to talk to his papa and said, Papa, what do I do? And his father looked at him and said, Luciano, I don't know what to tell you to do, but I do know you can't sit on two chairs. If you try to sit on two chairs, you'll fall between them. Herod tried to sit on more than two chairs. He tried to please his wife, he tried to please his Roman bosses, he tried to please his friends, he tried to appease his enemies, he tried to quiet his conscience without either obeying or disoffending God. And in the end, he fell 
In our first lesson, Amos used the symbol of a plumb line. A simple builder's tool, a string with a weight at the end. My father was a farmer and a rough carpenter. He built a few barns and sheds along the way and enlisted his sons to help. And if he needed a plumb line, he got a big lug nut and some tobacco twine and he made one. And I remember climbing up the top of this rickety barn we were making and holding it down to see if it was straight. What a plumb line does, it's a right angle to the plane of the earth. You can measure and see if you're square. That's all it is. Amos says that God's word and God's way are to be our plumb lines. That by which we measure our life to see if we are straight and true. Herod's problem was that he had too many plumb lines working. One was John's preaching, a plumb line that judged Herod's life and found it wanting. Another was Herod's wife who pressured him to follow her will. Another was public opinion. Another was the will of his political friends. And another was the will of his political enemies. No wonder Herod was perplexed. His plumb lines were getting tangled, calling him in different directions. Herod could not decide what to do, so he tried to get away with doing nothing. Herod's hand was forced when the plumb lines came together. And he could no longer delay, and he had to choose. And he chose badly. Calling for the head of John the Baptist. He picked the wrong plumb line by which to measure his life. At this point, Paul Harvey would say, and now you know the rest of the story. We don't really do we? Herod's story has ended. Ours is still going on. Every day, the world presents us with a hundred ways, both big and small, that we can serve ourselves instead of serving others. Every day, we are confronted with a metaphorical choice between chairs, and we must decide in which chair we are going to sit. Serving God and others or serving ourselves. Back in the 1940s, Lloyd Douglas, <coughs> former Lutheran minister turned congregationalist turned novelist, wrote a series of novels, one of which was The Road, which became a movie starring Richard Burton. It's a novel about early Christianity and tells the story of what happened to Jesus Christ. The one the soldiers gambled for at the foot of the cross. Douglas imagines this cloak changing hands. And everyone who got the robe finding out the story of the one who was crucified and having to deal with how they respond to that story. One who responds is the Roman centurion Marcellus, who was the head of the, the, the group that crucified Jesus. And later, as he gets the robe and begins to hear the story, eventually he becomes a Christian. And he wrote his wife, Diana, back in Rome, telling her the story of the robe, the story of Jesus. And she writes back to him, it's a lovely story. We don't have to do anything about it, do we? It's a lovely story. We don't have to do anything about it, do we? Diana, like King Herod before her, has hit upon the dilemma 
of hearing the gospel. It's a beautiful, frightening, perplexing story, one people like to listen to. And if you listen carefully, you will realize that it is calling you to change, to become different. And most of us do not want to. Like Diana, we cry out, we don't have to do anything about it, do we? Well, yes. Yes, we do. We cannot sit on two chairs, for surely we will fall between them. We cannot live our lives by a variety of standards. We cannot measure ourselves by contradictory plumb lines, for they will surely get tangled and our house of faith will fall. We cannot keep God and Christ locked away in a private prison of our own devising, bringing them out to look at and listen to at our personal convenience. We must decide. Our calling today is to measure our lives by the plumb line of God's love. That plumb line was established on the cross where Jesus gave his life, his all for us, for everybody. Our calling is to conform our lives to his, to love with his love, to forgive with his grace, to move with Christ into the fulfillment of the kingdom. And amidst the perplexity and confusion, the noise and distraction, of many voices telling us what we can or should do. We are invited this day to listen for the righteous and holy voice of God, calling us to repentance, to forgiveness, to joy, to love, and a life of service to God and others. How we respond to that voice that is the rest of the story.